This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiansen. Hey, good, good day to everyone out there listening to us here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platforms that you're listening to. This is the Podium Finish Live. I'm your host, Rob Tiansen. Joined alongside, as always, Nathan Solomon, the motorsports journalist who also attend the same school, St. Bonaventure University. And we're so happy that you can tune in to episode 26, which promises to be, as we say in the world of F1, a cracking edition of this podcast. Now, it's really an awesome show for this edition of TPF Live because, again, it's a double bill feature of guests. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we have two amazing racers who will be on the show today. So I'd like to welcome in Roman Groshan and Ryan Vargas for this program. You'll be hearing from them later on. And interestingly enough, they drive different cars. Uh, Roman Groshan, of course, is a former F1 racer who is now competing in the NTT IndyCar Series, while Ryan Vargas, the Rhino, is now in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and he's got a rather inspiring story that we're going to be sharing here on TPF Live. Now, as always with TPF Live, we always talk about the happenings in the past cup races, um, past races in terms of the stock car and IndyCar F1 world. And of course, we digress further into other topics for the podcast edition, whereas on the radio show edition, we always got those groovy tunes that you can hear from the TPF jukebox. And of course... I couldn't do the show without my friend and my co-host, Nathan Solomon, who is here. And we're both counting down to the end of the semester because I know it's been a long one for both of us. But how are you doing, my friend? And are you counting down to Dover race weekend? Doing well. And yes, I am. Um, counting down a lot of things. Uh, summer's almost here, so that's good. Um, doesn't really feel like summer because as we record this, it's snowing in New York and we're gonna we're supposed to get like 6 to 12 inches overnight. Uh, and yes, it's April 18th or well, April 20th, as you guys are listening to it. But uh, yeah, so that's not pleasant. But yes, I am looking forward to Dover weekend. Hopefully it'll warm up by then and very much looking for uh, school to be done for a little while so I can focus on well, so summer can call. I can focus on work and uh, and also a lot of TPF stuff, too. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I feel like it always is. But as always, great to be here. Glad to have you alongside, my friend. Always great to have a good co-driver for TPF Live. And hey, I'm kind of down to the possibility of us working together in a race later this year, whether it's in New Hampshire or in my case, uh, beyond New Hampshire, I'm looking into doing the race weekend at Texas Motor Speedway in September, which I know you probably couldn't do, but um, I'm also looking at the Charlotte Roval. So yeah, just kind of looking ahead to the, the, you know, the next several races for, for me and of course the TPF team, we're getting ready to go to Dover and you'll see plenty of us once the NBC side of the NASCAR schedule kicks into gear. So get used to seeing the TPF gang folks, cause we're going to be out and about, and you should always say hi to us cause we'll make time to interact. Now, before we begin our first segment, as I always see on these shows, hey, folks, if you're looking for some diecast cars, whether it's Lionel Racing's collectibles for NASCAR diecasts, or if you're looking for IndyCar, street and movie TV show diecast cars from Greenlight Collectibles, well, Brent Powell and his team at CircleBDieCast.com have you all hooked up. And if you are going to order items of $20 or more of in-stock items 
or pre-order items that will likely ship at the same time, you can get free shipping by using promo code TPF2022. Again, that's promo code TPF2022 to avail free shipping on pre-order items that ship at the same time or in-stock items of $20 or more. Tell Brent Powell and his team that Rob Tiongson and Nathan Solomon sent you over so you can get some diecast swag and be the coolest dude on the block or coolest dudette around. So circlebdiecast.com, a proud friend of TPF Live and one of the best diecast places around. Well, folks, now that you know how this podcast has been working for the last 25 episodes, and if you don't, wake up because it's podium perspective time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Bristol Dirt Race Weekend has come and gone, and I know you've heard us on the program. We were kind of dissing on this race. We weren't too thrilled about another Dirt Race Weekend. I know for me, though, after this weekend, I was kind of sad it was over with. I enjoyed it. It seemed like Steve Swift and the folks at Bristol Motor Speedway, SMI, and NASCAR, they got their acts together. I wouldn't say it was a perfect race weekend for Truck and the Cup Series, but I was delighted i was entertained you know i I actually thought hey this kind of works um at least on the on-track product side of things of course if you're kevin harvick you're probably not thrilled right now um and if you don't know what what i mean by that I'll, i'll read off a quote a little bit later on but as far as the racing action was concerned it was pretty cool i mean the rain kind of helped a little bit with getting that top lane more competitive, or as they were saying, getting the pack cars out there to basically make it raceable so it wasn't just one lane prefer- preferable to the, the other lane. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're looking at two happy race winners from Bristol Dirt Race Weekend, of course. That would be defending truck champion Ben Rhodes and Kyle Busch. And on the podcast side of things, Nathan and I have a lot to say about Kyle Busch's victories as of late. But, you know, before I kind of delve in further, Nathan, I want to get your thoughts about the Bristol Dirt Race Weekend. Because I know when we had our buddy Marty Sakala on, Marty was really like, dude, don't hurt my feelings about Bristol Dirt Race Weekend. But uh, would you say your feelings have softened since then? Or was it more like a, ah, thank God it's over with kind of experience? Well, I mean, of course, Marty's a big, uh, he's a big dirt track guy. So, of course, he's going to be uh, big, uh, big on the dirt <laughs> stuff. But um, I, <laughs> this is kind of weird. Like, I don't like, obviously, I don't like the whole dirt at Bristol experiment. And last year's race was just a cluster, was a mess. Obviously, it rained all day Sunday. Um, and the races were, uh, you know, they were, were changed because of the, of the weather. Um so that didn't help there. And I think that, that did leave a sour taste in all of our mouths. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't love the idea, but I, and I still think that they're going to do a dirt race, do it at a real dirt track. But the Sunday's cup race was honestly pretty good. Like it, it was a good race. Once they got the, the, the track situation kind of figure out the first 10 or 15 laps, um, <clears throat> when they called that caution for, for, you know, all the teams to come down pit road and clear up the grills and everything. I don't think that they scored that caution correctly because I think it was Cole Custer who was leading and he, he was starting to overheat. So he came down and pit and ended up going two laps down. But right before they flew, flew the caution, he'd get his laps back. He got one lap back and he was, he was still trapped a lap down, which is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. Like he deserved to get his, his position back and get his laps back because 
they can't let the trucks just blow up, you know, 10 laps or the cars blow up 10 laps into the race. But once that got all, you know, hammered out, we saw good racing. Like it was pretty, it was fun, entertaining racing. Obviously a lot of cautions. I think you kind of knew um, that'd be expected. And there was a little bit of rain throughout the night, uh, two red flags for rain. But in the end that kind of helped the track. And I think Kyle Busch made a really good point of that in his post-race press conference. Cause he kind of talked about like, all the you know the biggest dirt features in you know in, in the dirt world are, are like 50, 50, 75, you know at the absolute most one hundred laps because you know, they need to water the track before the race, not drench it, not like flood it, but get it wet, um, and then it packs down and dries out. Once it dries out, it kind of just loses its edge or whatever. Um, with the rain, just kind of when it rained, it was able to kind of give that moisture and kind of. It, it, it let the track kind of stay where it where it was at the beginning of the race. So I think that let led for some for for some good racing throughout the race. I think they're that's something that they're gonna have to figure out um, if they do this more, like just how to get more and more moisture into the dirt. So like maybe at the stage breaks if they do this again next year, which I'm sure they probably will. Um, maybe inst- instead of making that a six six minute break or whatever, maybe make that a 10 or 15 minute break where they can um, water down a little bit more and have, and, and have the packing cars go out and, and, and get the surface ready. So the surface stays uh, a good racing surface. Obviously that'll be a little tougher on the fans watching both at the track and at home. Um, they're not going to want that 15 minute minute break, but to get the product that we want to see that might have to happen um, again, get rid of the dirt on Bristol. Do we want, I want two asphalt races on Bristol. Um, and so I guess my stance won't change that much, but if, if they're going to do a dirt race, do it at a real dirt track, do it at, at Eldora. Although I know NASCAR's in, in Eldora aren't on the same page, uh, but I mean like Knoxville, like that, that, that's a terrific facility and the truck race, that's the first time it was there last year. It's going to be better this year. Um, they're, they'll get it figured out. I, I think a, a cup race should, should be at a place like that. If, if they're going to do it on, on a real dirt race, but overall cup race was pretty solid though. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that cup race was much, much better than Martinsville race weekend. I mean, I was so maybe it helps with the fact that Bristol was after a rather lousy race at Martinsville, because I don't know if my feelings would have been the same if the Martinsville race was a classic. And then we go to the Bristol dirt race weekend, which if it were as entertaining as it was, and it was, because let me set up a scenario for you folks at home. Tyler Reddick was on his way to getting his first cup race win. And it was going to be awesome because there were moments where I thought he had it in the bag, especially when that last rainstorm came and, you know, delayed the race yet again, I think within the last 25 or so laps in the Food City Dirt race. But uh, Chase Briscoe, being the dirt track expert that he well, you know, he is, he was making up considerable ground on Reddick. And it certainly didn't hurt Briscoe that Reddick was running into lap traffic which impeded his progress. And of course, going into that final lap, just like the 1997 Food City 500 on the concrete version of that track, we saw the two leaders tangle. Unlike 1997, where Gordon and Walls didn't spit out and wreck each other out of the race, unfortunately, Reddick and, um, and Briscoe kind of had a Richard Petty, David Pearson moment. Whereas unlike that case, Pearson went on to win. Briscoe didn't win. He dropped down out of the top 20. And Reddick had to settle for a heartbreaking second. And I've got to say, before we get on to that topic, also, too, I mean, with the Bristol Dirt Race weekend, what I loved about it was the fact that we didn't have any visibility issues, unlike last year. 
But we could have done without the overheating issues and seeing people like Ross Chastain get eliminated because he had a good fast car. Austin Dillon, he's been so good all season long in terms of performance, but he just does not have the, the, the finishes and the luck to back him up on that. And RCR Racing seems to be getting some bad juju in terms of things because Reddick, he is so due a victory. I mean, at Fontana, I know Larson won the race, but if you were watching that race, Reddick was the man. I mean, he was so on fire with that race. Should have won that one. Um, Homestead in 2020, uh, when he forgot the lap situation, he had a good fast car. Homestead last year could have caught William Byron, just ran out of time. I mean, this kid is ready to win a race. So as far as the Bristol Dirt race is concerned, I love it. Do I want to see it come back? I'm going to be different with you on this one. I don't mind, but let's get a little bit more organized. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to bring religion into the game. But not, well, let's not have it on Easter Sunday nights, because some of us are pretty tired after Easter Sunday festivities. Have it on Saturday night, because, man, that would be so, I don't want to say the word banging, but it would be banging. It'd be awesome. I want to see that happen. Um, so hopefully when they think about this, and if they are convinced that dirt track racing needs to continue at Bristol, then let's have it on Saturday night. And I got to say, by the way, Nathan, I loved having Daryl Walter back in the booth, um, you know, Maybe having him away from the booth for two years makes the feelings change a little bit because he, you know, kept things in check. I thought the pre-race show was great by Fox. Um, it's just unfortunate that we had those stoppages, but it did kind of work out to the track's favor. But let's kind of shift gears here, talk about Tyler Reddick a little bit, because, I mean, when that race ended, I, ex I almost half expected him to go and, you know, throw fisticuffs, get it on with Chase Briscoe, kind of like Ty Gibbs and Sam Mayer. And instead, they shook hands. I mean, that's great. We want civility sometimes in sports and life. Um, but I don't know if I would have handled it that way, maybe because I'm a little bit older, maybe a little bit more bitter, I guess, at some things that, hey, if I got taken out of the race win, I don't know if I would have been so gracious. But, you know, great example. I know his kid was at the race. So was his uh, girlfriend, Alexa. So I thought he was really classy in defeat. I don't want to say he was a good loser, because it makes him sound like he's never going to win, but he was a good loser in terms of handling defeat. And, you know, maybe some of the drivers can learn from that. Were you surprised, Nathan, by Tyler Reddick's reaction after the race? Because were you expecting them to be, like, ready to throw it down? Sort of, kind of, like, yeah, it, it, kind of in the middle. Like, I... I didn't really think that Reddick would like go right after him and like try to punch him in the face, like like a Ty Gibbs situation. Um, but I also kind of didn't expect him to be like, I, I don't know if so okay with it's the right word, but just you kind of on the same page about it, sort of. Because uh, like he said, he'd do the same thing when when, when he talked to Briscoe when he talked to Briscoe afterwards. So um i'll kind of take a little bit of a middle ground on that like i thought that maybe they, they kind of have an interesting like an exchange i didn't really think that they would you know start fighting like you know go on the ground and roll around in the dirt on easter sunday but um i, I thought tyler reddick would be a little bit more heated about it um i he certainly understands i guess what briscoe was trying to do um and i guess him saying that he would probably do the same thing um, I, I guess in a sense made them both feel better about it. Um, just knowing that, you know, that there's certainly no malicious intent by doing it. Like he, Briscoe didn't go into that corner 
um, trying to wreck him. And obviously Briscoe knows that and Reddick knows that. So um, a, a little bit of a middle ground on it. So I, I mean, if I was Reddick, I'd obviously be a little bit more upset about it just because of how close he's been, um, especially this year, but even at, at times in his first two seasons. But um, his time is definitely coming. I feel like we've been saying this for quite a while now, but he, he's getting closer and closer. Um, eventually he's gonna he's gonna get one. I think Dover and Darlington in a couple of weeks are gonna be uh, two great tracks for uh, for him to try to get that. And, and plus, you know, Talladega this weekend. There's just so much unpredictability there. You never know what could happen. Yeah, I mean, Reddick is on the verge of getting his first Cup victory. He's been doing it since his rookie season, and I think since he's gotten more comfortable and confident in that Cup car, and RCR has obviously picked up their program and performance. Uh, on the premier division, you know, Reddick has been showing that he and crew chief Randall Burnett are this diamond in the rough combination that's ready to mix it up with the likes of Kyle Larson, Joe Gibbs racing with Kyle Lar- Bush. Any heavyweight contender, I think Tyler Reddick can hold his own. You know, I know he's not the most tallest individual around, and maybe that's the reason why he wouldn't want to mess with a really tall dude like Chase Briscoe. But I mean, I was, I, I it was so commendable to see him just. Like you said, he I don't think he was too thrilled and he's like, hey, everything's all right. But I mean, he understood what he, where he came from. And, um, you know, all these race car drivers, of course, they're going to make some desperate moves in the end. And I think he kind of expected that, too, because, I mean, Chase Briscoe also played up, did some aggressive moves at the Indianapolis road course race last year with Danny Hamlin. So, I mean, I don't think that Briscoe is like a dirty driver, if some folks are thinking that way, but more like a any kind of driver would be doing aggressive moves, trying to get the win because that's what they're paid to do. Briscoe's not going to say like, Oh, I just want it Phoenix. So I think I'm going to be okay. You know, finishing second to Tyler Reddick. Although <laughs> to me, I think it's kind of a dangerous situation where, you know, Kyle Busch won the race because I'm not saying that Tyler Reddick's not a dangerous playoff driver. I mean, based off his performances this year, I'd say he's pretty, pretty potent, but Kyle Busch traditionally when it seems in the playoffs, He's somebody that you cannot just get rid of so easily. Um, he's won two cup race, two cup championships rather, in the chase format, playoff format. So he's probably the one last driver I don't want to have in the playoffs. But I loved that Reddick was so classy. You know, Talladega, any of these races really coming up can be Tyler Reddick's race. And who knows? It could happen now. It could happen in the Coke 600. Could happen at the race at Gateway later this year that nobody really has any empirical data to look at um, on the cup side because we've never raced there in cup cars. So that's the lovely part about cup racing is that we don't know what's going to happen because I, I'm pretty sure Nathan and I, when we made our predictions last weekend, none of us picked Kyle Busch to win the race. And uh, Kyle Busch didn't seem like the kind of guy who wanted to be at Bristol Dirt Race Weekend and he still wanted anyway. Pretty funny for the guy who uh, made the famous statement that the car tomorrow sucks and he still won anyways in that first car tomorrow race at Bristol in 2007. So maybe doing the same, the opposite means you win races, get things done. Well, let's continue on with podium perspectives because we got two more hard topics to get to that are going to be pretty fun to talk about. And let's talk about Kyle Busch a little bit here. Uh, we and I, you know, you and I talked about this after the race that it seems like Kyle Busch has been backing into his wins lately. Uh, and you know, and that's no discredit to him. He's a great driver, two-time champion. We all know that he's a future Hall of Famer, but he has—he's not been winning these races by doing it in, in a handily fashion. He's kind of been lucky. 
because look at Texas in the fall of 2020. Fuel mileage, you know, was in his favor. He won that race, even though it didn't really matter for him at the end that uh, weekend because he wasn't in the playoffs. And then last spring at the Kansas race, it took a controversial caution and Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney tangling during one of those wild restarts for Kyle Busch to kind of be like, oh, hey, I got my first win of 2021. And Nathan, you were at the race with your other outlet before joining TPF for Pocono, because in that second doubleheader race at Pocono, he kind of cold trickled that one and won the race there. So, I mean, Kyle Busch has been making a habit of backing into victories. Is it sometimes a case to just be a little good? Is it better to be lucky than not to be lucky? Um, and do you suppose one of those classic Kyle Busch victories is in the books? Come, I mean, is in the horizons pretty soon. I know. Better be lucky than good, right? I mean, that's that, that's usually my saying when I have a good, when I hit a good golf shot when I'm uh, when I'm when I'm hitting the links. But uh, <laughs> and that's hey, and those those races that you mentioned that doesn't even include the ultimate backing to a win race, which was literally the same thing that happened at Bristol Dirt on Sunday when when he backed into one at the at the clash last year at Daytona at the at the Daytona road course literally the same thing happened what was it Chase Elliott and um and Thank Ryan you. Blaney wrecking in the wrecking the final corner and here comes Kyle Busch again to win but yeah he's he's really been backing into one and and for uh for the guy who said that Alex Bowman is the king of backing the wins he certainly backed into quite a few these last couple of seasons but so I'm sure Alex Bowman had a word to say after uh, after that Bristol race. Um, but yeah, Kyle Kyle's really found some interesting ways to win. The Pocono win was probably one of the most impressive victories, if not maybe the most impressive victory he's had in his career. Just you know, the final stage he only had fourth gear, um, and not just him only being in fourth gear. It was also a few mile race too, so it wasn't wasn't easy. Um, and then yeah, Texas just. The scenario of like a lot that was another few miles race, and then also it being a Wednesday, um, just because <laughs> that was talk about a long weekend there, uh, and, and then Kansas, the controversial caution. But I think we'll do for for an old Kyle Bush schooling here, and I think you know, I don't know if it's going to be in the ne- within the next couple of races. Um, you know, that's the he's Taldega, he's certainly not a, the best plate racer in the world. Um, and Darlington and, and Dover, I don't think are his best tracks either, but. Um, a lot. Once we get into the summer swing, I think there's some really good tracks for Kyle Busch to have, um, to have a couple of classic victories. You know, I think Pocono is certainly one of them. Um, Loudon um, and road courses too. I think people underestimate Kyle Busch's road course ability because he's he's super good on those road courses. So, I think once once we get into the summer and even once we get kind of back into this. Um, stretch of traditional like mile and a half tracks which is going to start coming back soon really um really starting with darlington just kind of your your more traditional tracks you know darlington's uh mile and a third and then you've got you know kansas and and charlotte and again just your more traditional tracks coming up so um uh, i think kyle bush he hasn't really gotten hot since before covid like when he won that championship uh, i think kyle bush he's due to get hot i mean obviously we've seen a lot of a lot of these top drivers just kind of go on on, on little winning streaks or just little hot stretches these last couple of years. Kyle Busch hasn't. He's kind of just been super steady, but um, eventually I think Kyle Busch is going to find a way to uh, to rip off a couple in a row or uh, a couple within, you know, three or four races. I think it's really interesting he's mentioned that he hasn't been so dominant since the COVID times because I'm looking at Racing References data about Kyle Busch, and the last time he had a very dominant victory was the Coke 600, in 2018, which I know was a stinker of a race, 
because he led 377 of 400 laps in that number 18 car. So he could make it happen at Charlotte. And we know the 600 lately in this stage era of racing has been kind of more of a tame version of the 600 that I knew and loved before 2017. And it kind of plays into his favor. It also helps with the fact that practice and qualifying are back, albeit not in the extended fashion that he's used to. So he and crew chief Adam Stevens have to work a little bit harder to figure out the baseline. And sometimes it means they're chasing the setup, you know, in stages one and two and giving up points uh, before they get to stage three and, and they knock out these back into victories um, that they've been getting. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because beyond that, I mean, looking at the statistics here, Martinsville, he led 184 of the 505 laps in that controversial race, of course, that involved Chase Elliott and Danny Hill tangling in. And then moving forward beyond that, you know, Bristol Motor Speedway is probably his best track. And he led 378 of 503 laps in the 2009 spring race. Uh, so as long as he, you know, can find his mojo again, I think we're kind of due, like you said, for a Kyle Busch stumping. And he's probably going to have to hope that he doesn't have the pedigree car as a sponsor in one of these races, because whenever he's in that pedigree car, you pretty much know something bad's going to happen to him, unfortunately. But I wouldn't look past him at Pocono, you know, New Hampshire, Charlotte. I think he could be very good there. And Sonoma, he won there in 2015. So um, don't count him out, ladies and gentlemen, just because he's been lucky since 20, uh, 2020 doesn't mean he's not capable of racking off that win where he's going to snooze up the competition, make you race fans at home gripe about it on social media, which for him, I think he's fueled by hatred. <laughs> so he's looking forward to a little bit of that. Hey, I, I get it. I, I love feeding off of energy, whether positive or negative, just makes me more motivated, just like Kyle Busch does in that number 18 car. Well, let's get into our last topic here and dive into Talladega. The Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway, which is the largest racetrack, barring any road courses, of course, the largest super speedway at 2.66 miles. And it's also home to the big one, which for me as an older journalist and racing fan gets my heart rate a little bit too high and makes me grab for, for some antacids because, oh boy. I mean, just like Daytona, you see some wild pack racing. You see some daring moves that are just incredible. And you see some surprise winners that happen. I mean, 2021, rather, Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500 at Talladega. Anything can go. I mean, it's just Talladega. And, of course, we got to think about the yellow line. Hi, Taylor Kitchen. About that, because... And then, yeah, Taylor, we got to give some love on this. But um, Talladega, anything goes, big crashes, alliances, burnt deals, green flag pit stops, two tires, no tires, fuel. It's everything. It's a quagmire of a race. For me to go on and on about this, it would be another podcast for us, which I'm not going to do because we're supposed to talk to, you know, you know, racing with each other. But at least for the defending race winner, I know that, you know, we're looking at Brad Keselowski, who could be a big, big player for this race. And he, he's coming into Talladega, 30th in points. We talked about this before we started recording this podcast. We know how much he wants to win the race for RFK Racing and for himself, because it's really going to take maybe a win or two for him to make the playoffs. So, I mean, 
when it comes to a contender on Sunday, uh, Nathan, besides Keselowski, you know, who are two drivers you're thinking of in terms of surefire wins? And who are two drivers you are thinking are under the radar that we are probably not seeing for, you know, at the moment and can actually contend for this race? Yeah, for sure. Um, for a couple of surefire picks, uh, I mean, obviously you just took one of them, uh, Brad Keselowski. Uh, Ryan Blaney, for sure. He's, he's another one. He's got, he has a couple super speedway victories. He's kind of turning into to Brad Keselowski 2.0 at this place. He's, he's been really good there. He's always um, up front for super speedway races. Uh, Denny Hamlin's another one. He's kind of the Brad Keselowski of Daytona. Um, but it's obviously this, you know, the same idea of super speedway racing. So I certainly wouldn't count Denny out there. I, I mean, he's obviously having a really difficult season. Um, besides the Richmond win, another DNF at, at, um, at Bristol. So he's really in need of some points. Um, so definitely look at, at Denny to, to have a huge points day on Sunday. Uh, a couple of dark horses though, Bubba Wallace, he's been top, obviously won Talladega last fall. Um, top two at the last three super speedway races. Um, He's another guy that really needs a good points day. Could really just use his victory, get you know, to just get it out of the way, get in the playoffs, or at least hopefully get in the playoffs with um with the victory. And then another person that you just said, Michael McDowell. He is always up front at the end of these things. Obviously, he won the twenty twenty one Daytona five hundred. I think he finished second or third last um in last spring Talladega race. Uh, at the end of a super speedway race, Michael McDowell is going to be there. He knows how to take care of his stuff. He knows how to avoid the big ones. He knows how he just he knows how to pace out these races. Um, and he's another guy where if he could win, he definitely turned the playoff bracket upside down even more. So, um, you know, I, I think we said before the show, I can't remember the last time there's been so many storylines uh, going into the spring Talladega race because there is a ton to talk about. Uh, had a Sunday, and if if certain drivers win, I mean, it's going to have major playoff implications. And hey, it's only April too, so that's pretty crazy. We don't mind the fact that we're going to see a lot of movers and shakers in terms of the playoff standings, just because you know, in the last few years, it's been kind of un, you know predictable uh, for the first several races before it gets very predictable. So we'd love to see it happen. I mean, we want to see things get spicy. In those summer month races, when we get to, say, Pocono, we get to Watkins Glen, Indianapolis, Michigan, um, and Daytona, we don't want this to be like, all right, we know the, the, the 16, and maybe if there is, like, a few spots open, it's going to be by points, not rather than like, hey, you know, Danny Hamlin has that Richmond win, but he's, like, 27th in points, and this other person has another win, and he's ahead of him, and if he wins on sun, uh, Saturday night at Daytona, well, wouldn't that be something if the 11 team doesn't make it, so... I think it's really awesome to see that happen. You know, folks are going to say it's the next-gen car, or some people are going to say it's the youth versus experience movement. It could be a combination of things that are going on. I think that the Cup Series is in its best condition in a long, long time. It's very, you know, competitive. There's a lot of parity going on, and you're going. we're going to a racetrack that promotes parity. It's practically its being, if you will, at Talladega. And having that start-finish line just after the trioval, the dogleg section, just makes it even more interesting. And we saw a little bit during the Daytona 500 where we had some tandem drafting happening um, if it was done properly. So you never know. I mean, I don't think this is a race that the Chevrolet gang is going to be looking forward to, to be honest. They just don't seem to have any luck in these races. So, you know... I think your picks are pretty solid. I'm going to say in terms of my two favorites after Keselowski, of course, 
I think Joey Logano has got a good chance to win in terms of being a good restrictor plate, super speedway type racer. Ryan Blaney's another safe bet for sure. As far as dark horses are concerned, you know, looking at the entry list here, I'm going to go a little bit differently than you, what you said, because I know Bubba Wallace, he's obviously someone that comes to mind with how strong he is. But, you know, we can't count out Ross Chastain, even though I don't consider him an underdog anymore. Um, I know I said the Chevrolet gang's not that great, but Ross Chastain sometimes forgets his brand of vehicle when he just drives to the edge of the uh, limit on his cars, and he just knows how to get things done. Another person that we're, we're, you know, we should probably be thinking about is Eric Almirola. It's his final cup season. We all know how he brought home the bacon in 2018 and that stinker of an October race that I'm still pretty, I'm going to say in the podcast edition, I'm still pretty pissed off about that one because it was a really boring ass race, but it was fun for him. It started us racing and at least he had an overtime restart to get things done. So we're going to have to see, and you can all catch that action for the Geico 500 on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the major mothership Fox Network, where Mike Joy and Clint Boyer are going to be joined by Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's on loan from NBC, maybe because they did a little brokerage deal with the USFL football game that I tried to watch on Saturday night, and I was like, nah, NFL and college football all the way. Sorry, USFL. Great experiment, but that's the reason why you you stuck in the 1985, and you didn't get anywhere after that, so... We'll, we'll see what happens in the Geico 500. And of course, there is no practice. It's just qualifying. So that's going to be another, another um, factor to think about in this race. And before we wrap up putting perspectives, I want to give a huge shout out to Matt Kenseth. I mean, what a, an accomplishment he did today as of this recording, because he completed the 26.2 Boston Marathon with a time of three hours. One minute and 40 seconds, and he's 50 years old. He makes me look like I'm a decrepit old has-been to do that. And I'm sure maybe he had some motivation because somebody probably had a Joey Logano uh, voodoo doll in front of him. No, I'm kidding. He's a really good, athletic, and uh, well-shaped gentleman. And he beat Jimmy Johnson's time by easily eight minutes. And Jimmy Johnson's one of the most fit drivers I've ever seen in my life. So for Matt Kenseth to accomplish that, add a boy to him. Congratulations. I hope he's getting a lot of legal seafoods and clam chowder right now in Boston because based on the weather forecast, you told me about what's happening in upstate New York. I think they're in for a rude awakening in the East Coast. So hope he gets back home and avoids all that shenanigans in the Northeast. But we're going to have to move on here and get ready for the hot seat. So I hope you all enjoyed Podium Perspectives. If you at home or wherever you are want to hear us talk about a specific topic, tweet to us at the podium finish at Rob T. Ongson and then Ed and Solly 2 And if we pick your question, there may be a prize for you. I don't want to say what the prize is because I'm still figuring that out, but hey, a little bribery can't hurt. So let's move on to the hot seat. <laughs> got two awesome interviews for the hot seat seems to be like we're a little bit of applebee's on this program but we're not going to be getting fancy we're not going to sing that song get you all annoyed um and i i can see nathan he got the hammer ready for me but um anyway we're gonna have two interviews for today and each of us are going to introduce our segments because for full disclosure these interviews are done in advance so some of the topics you may hear are not exactly timely but hey we want to make you folks at home feel like you're in the trenches with us. 
So in my case here, I interviewed Roman Groshan just after the race at Texas Motor Speedway, or actually before it. And, you know, he was looking forward to the action over there, looking forward to the, of course, the month of May. And if you don't know who Roman Groshan is, well, you've been hiding under a rock because he's one of the most inspirational stories I know in all of motorsports. Because in 2020, at the Bahrain International Circuit in the F1 race, he got involved in a really unusual and fiery wreck after turn three, hitting the Armco barrier so hard that his car split into two and burst into a gulf, like a ball of flame. And for a while, it, we didn't know if Roman was going to get out of that wreck, but he sure did after 28 seconds, only suffering second degree burns to his hands, which he was able to recover from the rehabilitation, some skin grafts and a lot of courage from that Swiss French race car driver who migrated to America last year, lived on a bus last year before he and his family um, made their move all the way to Miami. And they now call Miami their home, which of course will be home to an F1 race later this year. But he's one of the top NTT IndyCar Series racers. He is very friendly. He is very personable. And he is indeed the Phoenix because he's living a second chapter of life in racing and with his family. So without further ado, for the first half of Hot Seat, let us hear from Roman Groshan right now. Well, Roman, thank you for taking time today for the podium finish and the podium finish live. You know, we're two races in into your new racing home with Andretti Autosport, and you've got a top five at St. Pete in that good run at Texas before the engine issue came up. So what's your initial thoughts so far in racing for Andretti as you start your second season in IndyCar? Well, the season started pretty pretty good in St. Pete. Uh, we were fifths. Good thing is that we weren't happy with fifths. So, you know, I think we, we, we definitely got more speed that we can unlock. Uh, but it was my first race with the car. Uh, so we, we learned a lot in St. Pete. And then Texas was always going to be a weekend where I just wanted to finish the race, get some experience. Uh, I think if we had done so, we would have been top 10. So it would have been good points. But, you know, more racing, sometimes things uh, fail on you and that happens. So, Yes, um, ready for ready for the next one. Uh, the start was already has been good. Um, you know, we have only got one day of testing and, and one race yet on, on street or road course. So, uh, anytime soon that we do some more testing, then we should be able to uh, find a bit more in the car. Absolutely, you're definitely extracting the most out of that car, um, which has always been fast over the years, and certainly you're picking it back your predecessor very well. You know, in Texas was your second start on a super speedway, but the first on a really big super speedway, to say the least. So how is it like to go full speed at a high bank track like Texas compared to what you've done in IndyCar and even in F1? Uh, it's, it's very different from everything I've done before. Ovals. It's very technical and there's so much, it changes so much through the race and, and through qualifying and depending on the track temp and the wind and so on. So very difficult to um, to know exactly what you need to do, uh, but we were doing okay. I think Texas, you know, it's probably not the most exciting one because you can't get the high line to work as, as well as we would like to. But um, uh, over those 100 laps, I learned quite a bit. Uh, I think that's going to be good knowledge for the new 500. And um, yeah, I think we, uh, you know, same thing. We, we got 100 laps. We got a good idea of or we can make the car a little bit more to my liking and um, and move on from there. Yeah, you mentioned about Indianapolis, which leads me to my next question, uh, Roman, because, you know, you got an interesting stretch with the street and road course races with Long Beach and Birmingham. 
and then a, a, a Indianapolis Road Course race, which you're so familiar and so adept with. And then, of course, the traditional Indy 500 afterwards. So, I mean, how excited are you about taking on the Brickyard and competing possibly in the Indy 500 as well? Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of the drivers and the people in IndyCar and the USA talk about the Indy 500. Obviously, I don't know what it is. I've seen it on TV, but I've never lived the experience. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I also know that it's a race where experience is key. And for me, um, for me, it's going to be about finishing in a good position so I can score good points because they're doubled up. So, you know, uh, every point that you score in the 500, it's like you've done it for two races. And uh, looking at, at the championship where I want to go, we definitely need to make sure that we... Uh, we get some good points there and we, uh, we take on and, and win some races. And you talk about the support system you have at Andretti Autosport because you're just getting used to the ovals that are part of IndyCar. How much is it helpful to rely on your teammates who have that experience um, at these yeah. tracks? Yeah, it's very good. You know, at, at Texas, I was watching a lot what the others are doing setup-wise and um, driving-wise and making sure that I can learn from, from all those guys. Uh, Colton, Alex, Simon, Elio, the old winner. Um, I mean, there's three out of four, there's three Indy 500 winners, so they know what to do. And uh, it's very exciting to uh, to look at them and to try to learn. And I'm sure they're te teaching you a lot. And then, of course, when you're excelling in those road course and street course races, I'm sure you're just as helpful with them as well. Yeah, I think it's just a great teamwork. <laughs> You've always been a good team player, to say the least. And that's what I loved about you. And F1 and IndyCar, to say the least. You're also, though very genuinely passionate and authentic with connecting with the fans. So I'm kind of wondering, how much do you feed off the energy of those fans who are always like, go Ramon at the racetrack or on social media? Um, the last two years have been incredible, uh, honestly, with the fans in IndyCar and uh, say, seeing, especially in some people, so many DHL shirts were worn by the, the fans and, you know, all those, those that attention. It, it's just great and they... The beauty about IndyCar fans is that they understand that if I don't have the time right now, uh, they will let me go. But whenever I come back and I've got a little bit more time, then I'll spend the time with them. And we've got the relationship where they understand that, you know, when I need to go somewhere, they will give me the time to do that. But when I'm come back and I've got a bit of free time, I will give them back. I think that's really helpful to say the least because, you know, a lot of fans, don't, drivers don't have to even do that. But the fact you go out of your way to connect with them, that's a lasting memory that they'll have for the rest of your life. Their life, rather. Is that a connection that you've had before when you looked up to drivers when you were growing up? Uh, not really, because I, I very rarely went to Formula One or racing when I was a kid. Uh, I went once to Monaco, and uh, I remember meeting David Coulton next to the toilets. It's quite funny. I don't know I don't know how old that was, but I was between six and eight, and I still remember that. that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's without the fans, we wouldn't be doing what we do. So the big part of our racing, the big part of, of what we, uh, you know, we, we've got people sponsoring the teams and helping us and making a living for us. So I think the fans are, are key and um, whenever I can, I can share with them and they've been, they've been so nice, honestly. Uh, it's just been, just been incredible and a great source of energy for me. I love it. And I also love the fact that you're so embracing of the U.S. life and culture after living in France for a long time. You know, how, how have you taken to life in America compared to what you were used to in France? And is it nice to not live in that bus and actually have a house that you can go home to? 
I love my bus though. Every time I go back to my bus, it's like a happy place. It's funny. Uh, it's almost like a vacation house that, that's on wheel. But yeah, it's been it's been great also to settle at home and not have to travel across the world and and uh, get the jet lag. And I think with COVID also, you know, the driving has not always been the best. And between getting a PCR test and getting to the airport and having all the papers checked and so on and so on, it's been quite quite challenging. But right now, here we are. Uh, in the States, so it's easier to get to uh, the place. Tomorrow I'm coming to the factory, Andrei factory, for a couple of days and just, you know, just jump on a plane, go there, and easy. So it's it's very easy, and the life in the US, I mean, it's funny that I'm, I don't know, 6,000 miles from home or so, and I feel home. It's just It just feels like it's, I've got a lot of home in the world. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I, I can relate to that because I grew up in Boston and I lived in the Philippines for four years and that felt like home to me after a few months. So it's so cool to hear that. And I see there that you got all your fire suits from throughout your career. I'm assuming you're all settled and you don't have any unboxing to do anymore. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, a few small bits and pieces, but uh, yes, I, I don't like boxes. So I think within three or four days, everything was, was empty and kind of put in place. I mean, I was starting at 3.30 or 4 a.m. Uh, with a time difference of finishing by 8 or 9 p.m. So it was long days, but uh, got everything going. And uh, yeah, very, very happy where we are. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that for sure. Now, I'm going to have to change things up a little bit um, just because I'm trying to introduce you to newer racing fans who obviously read my website for NASCAR and we're building our IndyCar and F1 content. But folks who may not know you very well, you have this amazing nickname called The Phoenix, of course, uh, which came from a time where you're just coming back from what happened in Bahrain in 2020 to being one of the most beloved drivers in IndyCar today. So, I mean, how is it like knowing that you're still standing strong today and you're still writing the story to your amazing career right now? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's been incredible. Obviously, it's been eventful last year and a half between the crash and the decision to get back to racing uh, in the States with Daycon Racing to signing with one of the big teams in the world and ready at a spot. Um, you know, after the after the 2021 year, some friends told me, oh, okay, you can stop using the Phoenix and find a new nickname because the far story is behind you. And I say, guys, I don't think the Phoenix is only the far. Obviously, it started with the far, but it's also a rebirth through IndyCar and a rebirth to try to win races. So I say, you know, I think the Phoenix is going to stick because it's, yes, it came initially originally from the far, but it's now grown to a much bigger level. Uh, which is a rebirth from racing and from love racing and, and trying to win race and championship. And, you know, I think it's, I don't know exactly, but it must be 3,900 days since I haven't won a race. So it's about time. And I guess that's, that's part of the Phoenix. It's the rebirth of, you know, having the chance to try to do that. I love it. And you're, you're proof that, you know, if you can overcome the most incredible odds, anyone can do what they want to do. And, you're just so determined. I love it. I can feel it right now in this interview, to say the least. Now, you're also one of the most favorite, my favorite parts of Drive to Survive when you were doing that uh, in 2018 through 2020. Um, and obviously, it's helped America know F1. Now, kind of reversing that and trying to get folks around the world to know IndyCar, do you think a similar type of series is needed to gain exposure uh, for IndyCar? Yes, I want it so badly. I want it so badly. I'll be, I'll be happy to feature in any of the episodes. I think there's such a big access and opening in IndyCar that it would be really good. Um, and I hope it's going to happen, definitely. 
<laughs> well, I've got a few more questions for you, and, the, and we're going to take things a lot more lighthearted. I don't know if it's going to be as lighthearted as when we talked to Atlantis King, one of my journalist friends, but I'll try my best. Now, I know Atlantis has made you do cartwheels, which I hope hasn't been too painful, but how have your practice cartwheels been going, and do you plan a big one when you win a race? Yes, that's the plan for the celebration, uh, is to do a cartwheel. And the only problem, if I win on oval, uh, I'm, I'm spinning so badly that I may not be able to do it. But on road course, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> well, let's make sure you don't get too hurt because we want to see you out there racing. Uh, and if you get hurt, I'll blame Alanis for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I you know a lot of folks may not know this about you uh, or about me even, but we share a common thread as bankers. So, I mean, good, good on you for doing that. Uh, what's some of the valuable experiences from being a banker and from other jobs you may have had that's been so valuable for you as a race car driver and the principles you hold as a, pe as a person? I think, you know, being a banker, it was not so much about the banking, even though I like that. And I think it's quite interesting and challenging the way you need to, to drive through. But it was more realizing what a normal life is, you know, where you wake up in the morning, you put a suit and a tie, you go to the bank, and then you come back in the afternoon and that's your day. Whereas when you're a racing driver, you actually choose what you want to do in a day. And if you don't have an instructor, uh, it can very, very quickly become messy. You know, I see some of those young guys, they sleep until 10, 11, then they play video games for most of the day. Maybe they go out in the gym for one hour, they think that's enough, and then they play a game, video game, and they don't really have much structure. And it's hard when you're 18, 19, um, just to to do that for yourself because you know um no one is here to to tell you what to do but if you go if you have a job then obviously you need to show up there and you've got time and, and you just that's all that's what i see as a big positive from that experience i understand for sure because that's what i do and you know anything you can do outside of racing can certainly help if you apply those experiences well as you have to say the least now i'm going to put you in my shoes which I hope they fit you, by the way. Just kidding. But if you had to describe yourself, the race car driver, in three words, which one? Which words would you choose, and why? Hmm. Passionate, um, motivated, and talented. I like that. I totally agree with you on those three points. So well done for sure. And the last question for you is. This, this is going to be sort of a unique one that I haven't asked a lot of drivers. What are some songs that you would say best defines who you are as a person and a paid driver? Yeah. Um, I think I'll pick up one that we found recently. And we got, it was, I was born to be a cowboy and it's from Charlie Fink. Ooh. Let me give that It works pretty well with, with me because I was born to be a race driver and I know it. Oh, that's awesome, man. And I, I'm so glad you're a race car driver because we need good stories, good folks like you to help motorsports grow and excel. So, Roman, is there anything else you want to say to the fans here uh, who are going to be listening in or reading my interview with you? No, just thank you again for the, the support. I uh, want to see the DHL Team Phoenix as much as I can on racetrack. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to put it on my Instagram as much as I can when I see people with the wearing the, the, the team kits. Um, I feel like we're a team and uh, can't wait to meet them in Long Beach and Barber and so on and so on. Absolutely. And hopefully one of these days you guys come back to Austin. We miss having IndyCar here and I would love for you to get Coda again so it can be one of these one-on-ones in person. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's see what they come up with, but they're talking about, yeah, 
something doing something something doing something different in Texas. So let's see what, where we get. All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Roman in the hot seat. Like I said, it's double billing time because Nathan's going to take over and talk about his hot seat interview with Ryan Vargas. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I talked I talked with um, with Ryan Vargas on on Friday of Richmond weekend um, before that race. So it was really cool to sit down with him. Um, kind of like Roman Rojan. He has he has a really good story. Um, you know, there are several times in his career, you know, and he'll talk about it in, in this interview. There's several times throughout his career where he kind of thought he, he was done. He didn't, um, didn't think he'd have a path to, to NASCAR and, um, you know, just talks about how, how lucky he is and, and, and just the chance that Johnny Davis took on, took on him to drive for JD Motorsports, which is obviously the team that the Johnny Davis owned. So, um, you know, it was awesome catching up with him. He's uh, also a very, very personable very personal guy, um, you know, a presence on social media. Um, 2020 is known for his TikTok car, which he ran eighth at at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, so he, just one of, the, one of the many great stories of the Xfinity Series garage. So it was definitely great to talk to him. Yeah, the Rhino is one of the best drivers and best young drivers out there for that matter in all of NASCAR and motorsports. And obviously a connoisseur of chicken nuggets, which I don't know if he talked about, but for your folks at home, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But we're going to hear from Nathan right now. Well, we're going to go back to Richmond Raceway weekend and hear from Nathan as he talks with Ryan Vargas for the second part of In the Hot Seat. Enjoy, folks. So, Ryan, to start, can you just kind of talk about how you got into racing? Yeah, so I got into racing. Um, I loved cars growing up. I mean, I'd wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. to watch road racing, monster trucks, NASCAR, whatever it was. Uh, out on the West Coast, I'd watch Speed Channel religiously. Um, I tried other sports. I tried baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and uh, I sucked at all of it. I did not have fun, didn't enjoy it, and uh, it led to me kind of wanting to try racing. Uh, I found out kids could do it, going to our local short track, Irwindale Speedway, and that's where I kind of realized, like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of begging and pleading, but we ended up buying our first Bandolero race car when I was 10. I mean, my first start when I was 11, and from there we won a lot of races, uh, tied for a national title, and just continued moving up the ranks. And you had just mentioned that you obviously raced the Bandolero car. It's gotten to late model racing in 2015. Uh, what was the competition like, and kind of what you just learn from that? Yeah, like it was it was really unique because I went from being a fan to just kind of being thrown into the wolves, essentially. You know, a lot of these kids they started racing when they were four, five, six years old. Me, I was I was 11. You know, I had years less of experience on a lot of these guys, and it's still that case today. You know, I'm racing against guys who are twice my age or guys who have been racing for, you know, since the early 2000s. You know, for me, I started when I was in 2012. So um, <clears throat> it's definitely been a game of catch-up my entire career, but we've been able to go out there and, and beat a lot of those guys, which was a uh, very big thing for myself and my family. Um, we always showed up with half the equipment a lot of these other teams did and would show up there and beat them at our local short track, Irwindale Speedway, Kern, with our late model. You know, we worked out of our garage, so... It's just, it's just been a constant battle, um, but it's, we never thought we'd make it to this point, so it feels good to be here. Uh, 2018, you raced uh, in the then K&N Pro Series East with Rev Racing. Um, just kind of how that deal come about, and, and how would you evaluate, evaluate your time there? Okay. Yeah, that deal came about, um, I found out that there was a diversity program. Uh, myself being Mexican-American, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for me to move forward in my career. Um, I mean, honestly, we should have been done racing in 2017. I remember my parents sitting me down and telling me that you know, we couldn't afford to do it, and, and which I understood, and I knew kind of from the very beginning how expensive racing could be, so I didn't want to 
put our family in a situation like some people have seen people literally lose a lot of things over racing and I, didn't, I never wanted that for my family. Um, so when the opportunity came up to race at Rev, I made the team. It was a massive opportunity. Um, my time there was, uh, it was just, we just got mixed results. Um, you know, it's just part of it, um, part of the learning process. There's a lot of factors there, but at the end of the day, it got me out to North Carolina. It was a great opportunity for me to meet new people, network, and it led me to the point I'm at today. And, and you said, you know, right before that, you, you know, you were kind of running out of money to, to use for racing. Was that a, kind of like a turning point for you in your career, just in terms of making that next step? Well, for me, the way I look at it is every year that I've been in racing since 2017 has been a, an additional year. It's like a one-up, I guess you could say, in gaming. Um, it, it, that's what it feels like to me. Um, I, I always say, and a lot of people tell me not to say it, but I say it anyways, I don't think I should have ever made it this far. Just because of where I come from, my background, my family's background. You know, I'm just, you know, some random Mexican kid from California. And I've made it this far, and it's so insane to think about. And then after your, after your season with Rev Racing, you returned home to uh, and raced late models for a year. Why did you decide to do that? Because I knew I needed to be in a car. Um, I knew I needed to be in a race car, getting laps, getting experience. And we fortunately had a sponsor come about that allowed us to race those races. And that helped us kind of build up what we needed to do to go out there and race. Uh, and so I was able to run 20-some-odd late, late model races in California and uh, on the East Coast with Lee Falk Racing and Alec Martinez Racing. And we won races. Like, we showed up. We won. We did great. We ran up front virtually everywhere. Uh, the West Coast was a... The East Coast was a little harder than the West Coast just because late mile stock guys, they're good. And, uh, but we found ourselves in the top five, top three most every weekend. So uh, it was a great experience for me to get a bunch of racing in, get laps that I needed, and be ready for when the opportunity came about. So just a big confidence booster? Yeah, it was a massive confidence booster. I mean, I spent the time between two, November of 2018 to uh, February of 2019, I, I, thought I, was a, I thought I was washed up. I thought I was done. I thought my career was over. And so for me to show up back where, I, where it all started, back where, you know, and I knew a lot of people believed in me, but I didn't believe in myself at all. So when we showed up and won, that changed my demeanor a lot and told me that you know I could still do this and that same season you made your Xfinity debut with with JD Motorsports um, just kind of how that first deal happen and how you guys kind of meet and come across each other it was just a it was a unique chance deal um, I met Johnny and uh, Brian Barry the competition director here at JD Motorsports I met them you know through walking through the garage area handing out business cards and stuff um, I had friends of mine that worked at JD and they were telling me like this this would be a good opportunity for you and so you know, I finally sat down with Johnny Davis. Um, he took a risk with me. You know, I was a 18-year-old kid who lost his ride in ARCA. You know, there was no reason to allow me to drive his race car. But um, you know, we were able to take build up what we could to go do it, and we went and did it. Ran Iowa. Um, Iowa's a personal favorite track. It drives, it fits my driving style very well, and we were able to go out there. You know, I was just hoping to finish the race. Period. Whether it was last or up front, but. We ended up running in the top 20 all day, finished 17th, which for our team even today is a big deal. So um, it felt good to go out there and do that kind of performance. Do you miss going to Iowa? Uh, I miss Iowa a lot. I, that, that place needs to come back fast. Um, in 2020, of course, another part-time deal, and then that's when TikTok came aboard. Um, 
obviously, you know, you had, had the social media presence. Um, they kind of just explain how that happened, and then, of course, it kind of led to, to a top 10 for you at Texas. Um, how big was the, those six races for you? It was massive. Uh, you know, the TikTok deal, it really did come out from a tweet. Uh, my buddy Ryan Pistano, who's a graphic designer in racing, he works closely with uh, uh, Alpha Prime and other teams like that, Haley Deegan. Um, he even threw up a rendering of a TikTok car with me in it because I mentioned how much I love TikTok. I, at the time, I was probably one of three, two or three drivers on the app. I had a, probably a following of 30-something thousand followers at the time. Like, I was, it was, in, at that time, pretty big. And um, through word of mouth, TikTok got a you know, saw it, got a hold of me, and the rest is history. Um, I don't have management, so every time we had those meetings, it was just me sitting on the call with all of these really important business people who, uh, you know, really can dictate a lot of decisions. Uh, but it worked out. We got six races, and as you mentioned, it led to our first top ten. And that just kind of goes to show what this team is capable of. And we've we've almost done it this year. You know, we've had races where we should have been up front and, and should have finished better. We, I think we missed out on a top ten in Atlanta. I, I got out of the car finishing 12th and felt disappointed. So it, it, it's one of those things where you can you know what this team is capable of when all the right things come together. And then last season you raced nearly every race. How did those six races in 2020 kind of set you up for success last season? You know, it's just laps. Like I said, experience and laps. Um, going to all the tracks last year for the first time with no practice or qualifying, that was a massive challenge. Uh, never seeing a lot of these places. I mean, here at Richmond, we unloaded my first laps here. We were okay, but man, we were off from the rest of the field. But now I know that, and now I know where I need to be better. So hopefully this time, knock on wood, I'll find some wood to knock on later. We're pet, we're better. Um, it's just part of the learning process, part of growing. We had a lot of good runs last year. We also had a lot of runs where we know we can improve. Richmond being one of them, and so we have a brand new setup here for this race. So um, it's just a it's a massive thing uh, to go out there and get laps. There's no price you can put on laps. As having just this practice come back this season, has that boosted your confidence when, when the green flag when the green flag flies? Well, the thing is, is practicing qualifying is so condensed and so tight, you, you really don't even get a chance to really get an idea as to what you have. Um, I miss the regular practice of qualifying, um, but I also miss not having either. So it's kind of like I'd rather have either or at this point. But um, it's just a, it's a unique challenge. Um, I'm having to go to a lot of these places. Like it really hit me. I was thinking about on the drive here. Uh, Vegas, when we qualified there, that was my second time ever qualifying on an intermediate track. Wow. I'd never qualified, like, literally my only other time was Charlotte in May of last year. So that really goes to show kind of what this all, like, how fresh I still am. Like, I, I as many races as I've done, you'd think I'm well, like, well-versed or well-experienced, but at the same time, it's just I still have so much to learn. And now, obviously, you're full-time here in 2022. Is it finally, is it kind of relieving that you can kind of just focus in on racing and not really have to worry about ride security? Well, it's it, it, yes and no. I still have to find sponsorship. I still have to sell. I mean, like I said, I, I was one minute late to this interview because I was out in the parking lot getting a check. Um, that's just part of racing. Um, it's what fuels me to be better and, and do what I want to do. Um, so it's just a never-ending search to find the next, the next partner, the next deal, you know, tire money for this, this other deal. So um, it's a lot of fun, but I definitely enjoy it. Um, through six races so far in 2022, just how, how would you evaluate your start? And, um, you know, I'm sure your qualifying effort at Daytona has to be towards the top. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our Super Speedway program has proven to be very, very good. Even um, our intermediate program, I think our intermediate program was really, really good this year. Um, unfortunately, we had two races where we just were taken out of contention, Fontana and Vegas, out of our control, simply. Um, 
but we've had speed. We've had a lot of speed. You know, I'm, I'm leaning on my teammate Bailey for a lot of advice sometimes. You know, it's he's well experienced, so I'm trying to learn as much as I can to be better. Uh, I want to help grow this team and continue growing with this team. And uh, the start for this year has been just kind of defined by one word, and I mean two words, and it's bad luck. Um, just nothing but bad luck. But uh, with the speed we've had, our, our day is coming. And obviously you talked about the speed of Daytona, the speed you had at, at Atlanta. Um, with the Atlanta configuration, do you like having that extra sort of super speedway type race? Like, do you think that helps you in the team? I think it was a good decision for that repave. Atlanta needed a repave, plain and simple. Um, as much as I wish we had the old Atlanta, as much as I prefer the old Atlanta, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't have fun. You know, it's 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 a unique experience going to these, going to an intermediate track and holding it foot to the floor, racing side by side, inches apart from each other. That was a cool race for any fan, and any fan that says otherwise, they 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 didn't have a good time. I don't know what to say, um, but it's just I don't want every mile and a half track to be that. I would be very upset if every mile and a half track became that. Um, and I'm and that's coming from someone that I, I mean who kind of runs well there. Like we ran well in Atlanta, so. As much as I don't want every race to be like that, it was a good time, and I think SMI and NASCAR did a good move making it that, but with other tracks that they have to repave, let's kind of save that for Atlanta. Um, obviously, you're still you know, very young, but what are some of the biggest things that you've learned in your racing career up to this point? Um, perspective. Perspective is a massive thing. Um, you know, it's, it's For every bad day I have in the race car, I, I also know what it's like to not be in a race car. You know, I spend so much time just working on the sidelines, learn, learning as much as I can. So this is my first real big shot, and I want to make sure I take advantage of that and grow it. Um, I care about this team. You know, Johnny Davis, he's been giving me, he's, you know, I, this is an amazing opportunity. Like, I never thought I'd race in Xfinity. So I know what it's like to, again, like I said, I know what it's like to lose everything. So every race I get is a blessing, and regardless of the finish. Who are some of your role models and, and people that you look up to on the track, off the track, and even outside of the sport? I mean, I, I just respect a lot of the car owners, you know, how different business practices are and how they try and make things happen and how they take care of their people. Um, you know, guys like Johnny and other, and other car owners and stuff like that, just learning, learning off of what they do and seeing how they, can, how they build their programs to be better. Um, obviously, you, know, you talked about the TikTok deal, but how has your social media presence um, helped your racing career to, to get to where you are now? It helped me get a sponsor for this weekend. We have an associate sponsor on our car, um, um, Williamsburg Contracting. They're, they jumped on board as associate this weekend. Uh, they bought, they got us, you know, some tire money, which is massive. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, the car's blank and it has you know a, a decal on the lower quarter panel, but that decal on the lower quarter panel could be the difference between finishing 28th and 21st. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. So. Um, Social media has proven to help me get partners, proven to help grow my reach within the sport uh, with fans, and it's been a lot of fun to kind of explore who I am as well. You know, I, I know I don't want to be the same, I don't want to be the regular vanilla driver everybody sees. I want to be myself, and social media has allowed me to do that. Sure, and my final question for you, just what are your expectations for 2022 and beyond? Uh, my expectations for 2022 is to just, you know, run every race, run every race, run every lap, be there at the end of all these races and the results will shake, will shake themselves out. But, and I know they'll come. Uh, and for beyond, I just want to drive race cars. If I'm in a race car, I'm happy. So uh, that's my expectation. Awesome.
Oh, well, folks, we're out of time for this edition of TPF Live, but we're so thankful that you could join us yet again. So for Nathan Solomon, Roman Groshan, and Ryan Vargas, I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, thanking you for joining us, and we hope to have you back next time. But until then, as we always say in each of these podcasts, let us get that checkered flag. And until next time, folks, so long, everyone. Well, before we wrap up this edition of TPF Live, for you podcast-loving folks out there and folks that are worried that Elon Musk will buy Twitter, don't worry. I don't have the money to challenge him, so I don't know why I brought that up. But, I mean, this was a fun episode 26 of TPF Live, double-billing hot seats, which I hope to become the norm. But if not, hey, we'll always get quality hot seat interviews. Talladega is on the horizon. Of course, F1 is at the racetrack in Imola, Italy, with the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. We've got so much motorsports action going on. I mean, I'm probably not going to get a lot of sleep for these next few, next few weekends. And also, too, I mean, with Dover coming up, you know, we are strategizing. We're getting ready for what we're going to cover. I know it's hard to think about Dover because of all the snow that's heading your way, Nathan. For me, I'm not going to say what the temperatures are for here in Austin because it's it's pretty cold here, too. Yeah, totally. But, um, man, so you like know, 90 degrees. Yeah, it's only 90 degrees here in Austin, Texas, and it's mostly sunny and it's like summertime here so yeah not, no big yeah no big deal but i mean hey once the, the ice thaws out the snow hopefully goes away and mother nature remembers it's springtime you've got a um a motley crew <laughs> for dover i don't mean they're bad they're a great team of course because you'll be working with josh jones and our newest photographer sam drace who is another new yorker so yes casey campbell New York is taking over the podium finish. What are your thoughts on this, Nathan, that you guys keep taking over a website that's founded by a man from Massachusetts? <laughs> I know. It's exciting. I'm excited to get back to the racetrack here next weekend. Um, starting off some prep for uh, for that, getting some hopefully some more interviews and some more content lined up from that weekend. Uh, that'll be my last NASCAR weekend until July, so definitely got to uh, do a lot to hold me over until then, but um yeah it's nice i'm going to the racetrack with uh with a crew of other tpfers every time so it's always fun some company at the racetrack some some good photographers to uh um help us make our uh, make our content stand out for sure so um excited to get down there three action-packed days of the track for me um be down there friday morning starting with well arca arca east and then xfinity practice and qualifying stuff friday um, cup practice to qualifying and Xfinity race Saturday. And of course, cup race Sunday before, uh, heading back to school for a couple days to, uh, finish up for the semester. So lots to look forward to. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to get, wrap up the spring 22 semester. And before you know it, you're going to be trading in your sophomore standing to become a junior in college. And that would mean for me that I would be entering my senior year. If there is such a thing as a senior year of grad school, Kind of weird to say that because grad school just makes me sound very old. But, um, man, I'm looking forward to your content and coverage, as always, at the Dover Motor Speedway. I almost said Dover International. I forgot. SMI bought them. And, yes, I forgot. And I feel like I'm such a sucker for forgetting this. North Wilkesboro Speedway is back. Not for NASCAR just yet. But, of course, they're doing this grassroots revival type program, which I'm so excited for. I know in August they're going to try to race on the old asphalt with some grassroots racing series before they pause and convert that into a dirt track race and get more dirt track, uh, you know, grassroots racing at that racetrack before 2023 when they rehabilitate that venue and make it more of a 21st century 
meeting the 1990s type of racetrack. Could be interesting to see if that racetrack is heading to NASCAR um, in terms of the truck series, Xfinity, and maybe Cup? Maybe? I don't know. Anytime these folks say they're not going to racing Cup, like Casey said in the mile on the TPF Twitter spaces, that means they're probably going to be racing there eventually. So we probably should have talked about that. That's on me. We'll, we'll probably talk about that next weekend because there's more details emerging from that. But man, we've got so much to talk about. That's why there's so many more episodes each week. And ladies and gentlemen, Nathan and I appreciate you all tuning in to TPF Live. It really means a lot to us. Uh, it's hard to believe episode 27 is around the corner, and we've got some great guests lined up, of course. So don't you worry, folks. We're going to have a lot of excitement here on the most exciting, fastest hour of racing talk that you can find anywhere in the podcasting world. So let's wrap up this puppy and get ready for episode 27, which will be the Dover preview race weekend, which I know Nathan's just ready to talk about when we get to next weekend or next week, rather. So we're out of time. We want to thank you all for joining us for another edition of TPF Live. So for Nathan Solomon, Roman Groshan, Ryan Vargas, I'm Rob Tionks. And thanking you all for tuning in to TPF Live here on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, whatever podcast platform you listen to. As always, let's go get that checkered flag. And until next time, so long, everyone.